Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts 17, verses 10 through 12. Uh, please follow along in your own Bibles or the screen in front, or simply listen as the passage is read aloud. Um, as Yumi mentioned, copies of Bible on the cart in the back are also available. Acts 17, verse 10 through 12. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors of High Rock Church. It's great to be worshiping with you all, and a special welcome to you if you are new with us. And as was mentioned, I hope to see you downstairs at Soul Food uh, at the Orange Table to get to know you a little bit. So today we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, it's entitled, Where Is It Written? Who We Are. And what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks is taking a look at some of the distinctive characteristics of our two churches, uh, Marshall Fellowship and High Rock Brookline. For us at High Rock Church, our lead pastor has recently stepped down. We've been through this discernment process that has helped us begin to form uh, what it means for our future as a church, and we're looking forward to a new season uh, for our church. And so through this series, as we uh, take a look at some of the characteristics uh, that make up our churches, we hope that it might kind of reinforce, uh, inspire, or encourage both of our churches uh, to look forward to this new season of ministry together. And so to kick off the series uh, this morning, the distinctive that we're going to be looking at is the centrality of the Word of God. And this is the whole premise of this series. We wanted to take a look at the biblical bases and roots of who we are and what we do as a church and how Scripture informs that because we want to also be sure that who we become and what we do moving forward is also informed by Scripture. And so what we see in our passage this morning in the, chap in the uh, Acts, book of Acts that Yara just read for us is an expression of the centrality of the word of God. And we see that in the example of the Bereans. And so there's the two questions that I want to explore this morning with you is, what is the word of God? What do we mean when we say the word of God? And two, what does it mean for us, um, for the word of God to be the center of our lives? What does that mean, the centrality of the word of God? So the short answer of what the Word of God is, is it's this, right? The Bible, Scripture. One of the six affirmations or core beliefs of our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is that term, the centrality of the Word of God. And the Covenant Church affirms that the Holy Scripture, the Old and New Testament, is the Word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, life, faith, doctrine, and conduct. So... As Christians, right, our, our worldview is based on this. 
It's the primary source that informs our beliefs, how we understand and experience the world around us, and how we act within that world. Our minds are constantly processing and making judgments on whether something is true or false, right or wrong. All of you here sitting right now, listening to me speak, are processing in your minds what I'm saying, trying to decide whether or not it's true or false, right or wrong. But what is guiding all of that, right? What is at the center of all of that processing? You know, I'm, I'm very much the type of person that doesn't want to th- take things at face value. And I need to do my own research before concluding that something's true or not. And so whenever someone tells me about um, a particular restaurant that's really good, I don't immediately believe them. You know, I have to put the time in to research and verify that claim, right? And so I'll look up the restaurant online, I'll see how many hits turn up on Google about the restaurant, make sure those hits are mostly positive ones, and then I'll check sites like Yelp, review sites that uh, review these restaurants and see how many total reviews are on those sites. The more the better, unless it has a low rating than people. But even with that, right, then I have to check that reviewer of said review and make sure they've written a good number of other reviews and is a credible source. And that they didn't just write, it was pretty good. And so after all of that, I'll continue in my process. I'll scroll through the pictures of the restaurant, look at the food. You know, I'll visit the website and see how that online experience is. And if all of that checks out, then and only then will I step foot in the restaurant and try it out and judge it for myself. So I'm sure I miss out on plenty of good eats because something doesn't check out. But at the same time, I've probably saved myself some money, time, and stomach aches because of it. But the problem with this process is that it relies heavily on secondary sources. Because the primary source and way of knowing whether a restaurant is truly good is to visit it for yourself, to experience the ambiance, the the service, to taste the food, and judge it for yourself. And so again, as Christians, our primary source of truth that is central to how we process the world around us is the Word of God. Now, if you don't hold a biblical worldview, or you have difficulty believing that the Word of God is true in the first place, you you, you might have already tuned out, or will eventually tune up, but I do ask you to bear with me, because you've made the decision to be here this morning, and at the very least, I hope this gives you an opportunity to examine your worldview. And so in our passage this morning, uh, we see that the apostle came, Paul came to Berea, and he preached the gospel to them. Now these Bereans, they didn't immediately accept or reject what he said. In verse 11, it says that he, they listened eagerly, and then what? Then they searched scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And scripture, of course, was Paul's primary source from which he preached. And it was the primary source for these Berean Jews as well. It was what would inform their faith. But even then, they didn't immediately accept or reject it. They themselves went back to the primary source to know for themselves. And we see that this is uh, completely different from what happens earlier in this chapter when uh, Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica doing the exact same thing. Just like in Berea while in Thessalonica, 
In verse 2, we see that Paul, it was Paul's custom to go to visit these synagogues. And for Sabbaths, he would uh, use scripture to reason with the people. But verse 5 tells us that some of the Jews were jealous. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. The response of these Thessalonians was not to ask the question, where is it written? And do the work of testing what they knew and understood and then believe. Their minds were already made up and closed off. Right? Their response to something that went against what they believe and understood from scripture led them to immediately reject and even retaliate violently instead of seeking to better know the truth. And this is the pattern of our world today. We see this so many, in so many places. We're divided on so many different things, politics, religion, sports. And it's, always, it's not always a civic disagreement. And even within the church, right, the Christian church is divided and fragmented as a result of certain beliefs that we can't agree on. You know, according to the World Christian Encyclopedia, there's an estimated 33,000 different denominations worldwide. And the number might, might be inflated according to the way you define a denomination, but I don't imagine that it's significantly different. And that's just, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me how we all as Christians, we turn to the same primary source, but we get such different messages from it to the point that we divide over it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold strong convictions. Ability exists for us to be wrong and to be corrected. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. But do we really believe that? You know, I think oftentimes when we hear passages like that one and when we think about scripture and the word of God in general, it sometimes feels more like a, a textbook or an inspirational read, a guidebook on life, or a set of rules that we're supposed to follow. And in essence, yes, this is just a book, right? It's words on paper. So what does it mean when in John 1, he says that the word was with God and the word is God. And in verse 14, when he tells us that the word became human and made his home among us, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. What exactly is the word of God? In his doctrine of the threefold forms of the word of God, theologian Karl Barth uh, gives us, I think, a helpful way to frame our understanding. He explains the word of God as this, as being revealed, written, and proclaimed. So the word of God is three parts, revealed, written, and proclaimed. The written piece is the scriptures. The proclaimed piece is the preaching and teaching of that written word by the church. And the revealed piece, which is the most central piece, is Jesus Christ. And the entirety of scripture points to and testifies to Jesus, the word of God. The proclamation of any church is, or at least should be, the good news of Jesus as written in scripture. We see in the book of Luke, on the road to Emmaus, it says that Jesus took them, the two disciples, through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Jesus is the word of God. The scriptures testify about him and point to him, and the church proclaims the good news of him. And so when we say the centrality of the word of God, at the very core of that is the centrality of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was proclaiming the good news of the word of God, Jesus, to the Bereans. And they rightfully tested that teaching against scripture. Because for them, this was a new message. You have to remember that at that time, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the written gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It says that they searched scriptures day after day. And as a result of that, many believed. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe everything that a preacher says? Or that you read about when it comes to Jesus and your faith? Now, whether you do or don't, how many of us, after we hear a sermon on Sunday or listen to it online, can say that we search the scriptures daily to see if it, what was preached is, in fact, true? You know, if, if Tim Keller or, or Brenda Salter-McNeil or Tony Evans or Beth Moore or Francis Chan or you name it, your favorite preacher was up here today preaching, would you immediately accept what they were preaching as true? And I'm not saying that we need to be skeptics and push back on every single thing that comes our way. But how much of Scripture and Jesus do we actually know for ourselves rather than what others tell us? And even with what we do know and understand, right, how much of that is open for revisitation and reinterpretation? I mean, there are the core beliefs that almost any church abides in. But when it comes to all of the secondary sort of issues, which are important, which are foundational to the way we believe and view the world, how much of that is set in stone? Verse 11 tells us that the people of Berea were more open-minded than the Thessalonians. Is that the posture we hold when it comes to Scripture? And it says that they listened to Paul's message with eagerness. The word for eagerness here is also translated as readiness, readiness of mind or willingness. You see, they weren't coming from a perspective of skepticism or cynicism, but essentially they were coming with a readiness and a willingness to be proven wrong. So open-mindedness and eagerness here are not about accepting anything and everything that comes your way. If that was the case, then the Bereans would have no need to search the scripture daily. But they neither accepted nor rejected Paul's teaching until they did their own research. They're able to say that we hold a belief and have an understanding of what is true, but we're open to exploring this new understanding and belief even at the risk of being wrong. And that's a scary thought, right? That a belief that you hold so firmly to could be wrong. And that's the kind of thing that shakes the foundations of your faith. But does that mean that the word of God is to blame? That the word of God was wrong? I mean, scripture doesn't change. Physically, the words are written and final. 
And it warns us not to add or remove anything. And we know that God does not change. Scripture attests to that. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord and I do not change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that leaves us. Imperfect, sinful, human. And our own interpretation of Scripture. Our minds constantly change. We're not the same yesterday or today or will be tomorrow. And so are we willing to admit that and willing to put in the work to understand that which doesn't change, that which is eternal and infinite? This is a piece of what it looks like for the word of God to be central in our lives. It's this lifelong process of getting to know the infinite God through his word as revealed through Christ, written in scripture and proclaimed by the church. When it says that the Bereans search scripture daily, this word for search means to examine, to inquire into, scrutinize, sift, question. It's an arduous process that they went through. They were putting in the work to see what scripture said about Paul and Silas' teaching. Now, what exactly were these teachings? It's the same teaching that uh, the Thessalonians uh, were taught earlier in this passage. If we go back to verse 3, it says that he explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. And in verse 4, he says, This Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Paul was teaching them about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Word made flesh. The Bereans weren't searching the scripture so they could prove Paul and Silas wrong. They were searching the scripture for the truth. And according to John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. And so the Bereans searched scripture, and they found the truth of Jesus Christ, who is the source of salvation and life. And so the centrality of the word, again, at its core is the centrality of Jesus Christ. But what does it look like for Jesus Christ to be the central part of our life? As I mentioned earlier, it's this lifelong process of getting to know the infinite God through his word as revealed through Christ, written in scripture, and proclaimed by the church. After I graduated college, I had this temp job doing um, medical data entry, and you know, one of my coworkers in the cubicle next to me, he was um, someone that I quickly connected with. And so I, you know, I got to know him a little bit more and more. We connected on things like movies and video games, and especially on music. He was, he was a drummer, and he would introduce me to all kinds of different bands and artists. He'd send me videos of drummers to watch, and you know, we got along. And there was this process of getting to know each other. We'd talk about it would get, eventually get to deeper things like family and faith. But in all of that, you know, there's... And if you think about any relationship, or any really close relationship that you have or had, you know, there's a joy in the process of connecting and getting to know someone. But sometimes you find out things that you don't really like or connect to. 
right? Other me while I was trying to work, and if I ignored him, he'd get upset, and he'd start like flicking my head or like kicking my chair. <laughs> and outside of work, right, his his personal life, he liked to go to parties and get drunk and use like, recreational drugs. Me, not so much. <laughs> and so there's this decision that we have to make when we're getting to know someone, right? Am I able to submit myself and subject myself to the things that I don't connect with or necessarily like in this person in order to continue getting to know them? Do I want to do that? And so when we think about getting to know Jesus on a personal level, when we talk about this relationship, I wonder if for many of us, rather than the question of whether the word of God is truth, the question is, are we willing to submit to it? To let it be the central source of everything in our lives. Especially when there are parts of it that are hard to reconcile or that we don't agree with. What does it mean that Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King? There's an expectation there of submission to the teaching of scripture, to the kingship of Christ in every area of our lives. And so I encourage you to engage the word of God, not just as a book full of words or a speech made by a pastor, but engage it as the living word of God who's able to respond to us. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and powerful, living and active. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. As you read scripture, be open-minded like the Bereans and let it expose your innermost thoughts and desires. See how they line up with the rest of scripture and the person of Jesus. Engage in this practice of self-examination and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. We have to remember that there's a supernatural component to our faith. And we can, truly, we can only truly understand and know the word of God with the Spirit's help. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. And it goes, now, this might be, it's foolishness to them. Now, this might be hard for some of us who are wired to think uh, with more logic and reason and, you know, what, with what exists in the natural world. This is a reality of Christianity. There is this mystical, spiritual, supernatural element to it. And it's only by the Spirit that we can fully begin to understand. And, you know, I, I believe a part of engaging that reality is our imagination. C.S. Lewis wrote that reason is the natural organ of truth, and imagination is the organ of meaning. We can't really grasp the meaning of any word or concept or truth unless we can connect to some picture, image, or metaphor in our mind. And so if our imagination is closed off in our reading of Scripture, 
then it becomes a cold, lifeless religious document. And so this morning, the last thing that I want to do with us is to take some time to, um, to reflect and give us space to use our imagination. And so however you're comfortable, you can close your eyes, you can bow your head, whatever helps you to engage that part of your mind. Just take a moment to imagine that you are in this room and that Jesus is sitting right in front of you. And he speaks to you the words from John chapter 8. He says this. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let me repeat that. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. First, as you reflect, consider this. What do I abide in? What is at the center of my life? What is it that drives me, that motivates me? Is it Christ and his word? Or is it work? Is it family? Is it money? Is it education, comfort, security, wealth? that I have trouble submitting to? Is there anything about the word of God that I have trouble submitting to that prevents me from abiding in it? Is there a particular commandment, a teaching, a character, a narrative? Third, what truth do I want to know? What truth do I want to know? Finally, just take a moment to listen in silence. 
Let the Holy Spirit respond to what you've reflected upon. And after a few moments, I'll close this with a prayer. God, we thank you for your word that was revealed to us in Jesus Christ and the holy scriptures that give us the means by which to know him, to know you, to love you, and to obey you. Open our hearts and our minds to be curious and to seek the truth that is found in you. And let us be receptive to the transforming power of that truth. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.